It's great to be here this morning with our church family here at our Georgetown campus, our Liberty Hill campus, and also the gym venue. Really glad that you're here. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to spend a lot of time around kids. If you've been a parent or grandparent or you've worked around kids, you've probably realized that kids are really good at asking questions. Have you noticed that? There happens to be one particular question that they are like really good at. They can ask all the time. You know what it is? Let's do it. One, two, three. Why? We all know it. We've all heard it. And there are times we can hear it so many times in a row that our patience is exhausted. And we might say something like, because I told you so. Right? You've been there before? Well, I, I can tell you in my own life, if I'd ever come to a point with my own dad and he said, I want you to do something. And if I said to him, well, why am I supposed to do that? With a little bit of attitude. He'd have began to pull off his belt and said, I'm going to show you why. Uh, you know, there's, no, there's nothing wrong inherently with wanting to know why. The problem comes when we have attitude about wanting to know why, right? And think about what it's like when you read the commands of God. He's telling us what to do a lot in the scripture. And there are times we, we might want to say, Why? Well, God could, of anybody, say, because I told you so. We really have no place to say to God, well, why do you want us to do that? And certainly not with attitude. But there are some times when we are told to do something that we just feel like we need help. Like we need help. Because it's really hard. It's really challenging. And so our why may simply be a plea for help. Lord, I see what you want me to do, but it would really help me if I knew more about why. Well, God in his grace and his kindness has again and again in the scripture told us not just what to do, but why to do it. And I'm so grateful for that because some things are really difficult, like When God tells us to love each other and he intends for us to understand that to include that that one person we simply don't want to love. And in that moment we, we probably would be really helped if God would just remind us why. You remember last week we talked about how our ears are tuned to the Lord to hear him. Well, when we read today's passage, remember your ears are spiritually tuned. If you've trusted the Lord as your Savior, spiritually tuned to hear him. And this passage that we're going to read is so incredible. And I want you to be listening for why we should love each other. All right, let's look at 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved We should love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one not loving does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God has been manifest in us that God sent his only son into the world 
so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God, but he has loved us. And he sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us in this way, we ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. We should love one another because love is from God and God is love. God who is love sent love to us. Love is from God. And God is love. Because God is love, the only way that God could actually demonstrate true love is for God himself to be the demonstration of love. God could not only send someone to talk about what love is, If he wanted us to know love, he had to send love to us, but it couldn't just be someone talking about him. It had to be him. And so Jesus Christ, who is God, who is love, came to demonstrate to us God himself as love. And Jesus Christ became the propitiation for our sin. While we were enemies of God, God himself took on flesh and came to demonstrate who he is. And because he is love, the demonstration of his love was to rescue his enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that if anyone places their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ takes their sin upon himself pays the penalty for that sin and absorbs all the wrath of God towards that sin so that towards that individual who trusted in Jesus Christ, the only thing remaining towards them from God is love and favor that is only warranted in the righteousness of Christ. So Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness so that all that we have from God is the favor of God that is due Christ and his righteousness. That's propitiation. He sent his son so that we would find life in him through forgiveness. The erasing of our sins and the removal of our guilt and the shifting of the wrath of God on Jesus Christ who died on the cross and instead experiencing the favor of God. We should love each other because love is from God and God is love we should love each other if we are born of God in my family Christmas is a big deal like we love Christmas it's already the time of the year to start thinking about Christmas right I know we got to get past Thanksgiving and I'm thankful for Thanksgiving but Thanksgiving is just a stepping stone to Christmas at least it's that way in our family 
We love Christmas. We love celebrating Christmas. We love the songs of Christmas. We love the family environment of Christmas. We love giving gifts at Christmas. We love celebrating Jesus at Christmas. We love Christmas. And for Lindley and me, <clears throat> this has been a major part of our experience as a family, creating celebrations and traditions around Christmas. We just love Christmas. Now, what's really cool about that is we both came from families where our parents made a big deal about Christmas. We loved celebrating Christmas in our homes. And our parents came from families whose parents celebrated Christmas. My grandparents, Christmas was a huge deal with my grandparents. Christmas was a huge deal with Lindley's grandparents. Guess what? It's very likely that our kids are going to have big things at Christmas. It's very likely that our grandkids will make Christmas a big deal in their home. Why? Because for generations in our family, Christmas has been a big deal. Nothing is a bigger deal to God than love. And if you've been born of God, you're going to look a lot like your dad and a lot like his family. We should love one another if we've been born of God. We should love one another if we know God. If you don't love, you don't know God. That's what this passage says. And so it just, it just makes sense. We should love one another if we know God. Back in the eighth grade, I had a Sunday school teacher. His name was Chuck. And uh, Chuck was the first man that I'd ever spent time around that was passionate about God, the outdoors, and fly fishing. And uh, he introduced me to Jeremiah Johnson. You know who that is? So, so he, would, he would have stories to tell about the outdoors, about fishing, and about God. And I loved listening to his stories. And he was so passionate about the Lord, and he's so passionate about fly fishing. And he had some of the greatest fishing stories I'd ever heard. And you know, fishing stories, some of the best in the world. And uh, he had so many good ones to tell. And I found myself listening to him as an eighth grader thinking, I want to I fly fish someday. And so I did. And then I became him. Yeah. So if you, if you came up to me and you told me that you knew Chuck, and not one time in your description of your knowledge of him, you mentioned fly fishing, I'd look at you and I'd say, you don't really know him. God is love. We should love if we know him. We should love, now notice in verse 11, I want, I want you to notice this change here. Look in verse 11. It says, beloved, in this way we, in this way God loved us and we ought to love each other. There's a shift here. Previous to verse 11, you hear this, we should love one another. We should love one another. If you know God, you love. If you don't love, you don't know God. You, you should do this if you know him, if you're born of him, because God is love and love is from God. But then in verse 11, it says, if you've been loved like this, you ought to love. So we ought to love each other if we have been a beneficiary 
of God's love. If we've received his love, we ought to love each other. Now that word ought is a word that describes a debt that you need to pay, an obligation. So the picture here is that because God has loved you, you owe a debt of having been loved like that to love each other. You are literally paying a debt because God has loved you like this. And the way you pay the debt is by loving others. So you and I have been loved by God in an unbelievable display of laying down his own life for us in the person of Jesus Christ. If you've received that kind of love, then you owe a debt of loving others. Now I'm not not talking about, the scripture is not conveying that we need to love others in order to earn our way with God. That's not what's being said here. But this is no less an obligation. So think about it like this. If you were to go out and buy a new home, and that new home was so astronomically expensive that you could never pay that home off in all the years of your life. In fact, no matter what amount you paid toward the home, the payments that you would make over your lifetime would not make a dent in the debt you owed on that house astronomically expensive you cannot pay it off no matter how much you pay towards it in fact what you pay towards it doesn't even make a dent in the debt that you owe but you still in the agreement of moving into the house have agreed to make payments on the debt but your payments won't touch the debt whatsoever so you get to enjoy that house and live in that house and the first thing you're going to realize when you move into that house is that your money did not buy that house You may owe a debt, but you didn't buy it. Somebody else's money bought it. Now, the arrangement would be that you would have to make payments on the debt. And you could make any level of payment that you wanted to at any time. It would not change whether or not you could stay in the house. That was just a part of the arrangement. But you discovered upon making a payment on the debt of the house that the moment you made the payment, no matter how little or how great the amount of money you paid, the moment you made the payment in your bank account was 100 times the payment you made. You've moved into a house that's astronomically expensive. You'll never be able to pay it off, but you're indebted to pay it off. You get to live there in that experience, but you never can touch the debt on the house, no matter how much you pay. And when you do make a payment, whatever you pay, a hundred times that amount ends up in your bank account the moment you make the payment. Now, who would like to be in that kind of debt? That would be incredible. I want to live in that kind of house. I want to have that kind of debt. And we have that kind of experience. That is the love of God. When he loved you, he loved us with a love we cannot earn. We cannot pay back. It's extravagant. It is beyond measure in value. And when we move into the house of God's love that he paid for, we feel the obligation of that love. And we know we need to love because we've been loved like that 
And we discover that the moment we decide to love someone in debt to God loving us, in that moment that we extend love because of God's love into our heart comes a deposit of love that blows away everything we've given. And we just get to experience more of God's love. We should, we ought to love one another because we are beneficiaries of God's love. And being a beneficiary of God's love makes us benefactors of God's love. It's amazing. There's one more incredible reason why we should love one another in this passage. Verse 12 is a verse that describes something absolutely fabulous that we get to experience when we love each other. Several years ago, I was hanging out in my house with several families. We were having a home group. And uh, we were hanging out there, and it was on, a, on a, a, a Sunday night. It was particularly dark. It's one of those nights that you can hardly see your hand in front of your face. It's so dark outside. And I guess we were remarking to one another how, how dark it was outside. And one of the, the guys in the group was a pilot. And he just happened to come off a mission of flying, and he had some night flights. And he said, hey, I have not turned in my gear yet it's still in my car and in my car I've got a helmet that has night vision on it would you like to check it out I'm like well yeah I'd like to check it out of course I would and so we went outside and he got his helmet and I put that thing on and turned on the night vision and when the night vision came on everything was in hues of green you've seen this on like tv or movies and stuff that's what it was like I was seeing everything I could see through the darkness and see every little hue of green I could see like it was daytime it was awesome I immediately stopped being a pastor and was in special ops in my front yard it was so cool. Verse 12, listen to this. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Whenever we love each other in this place, you know what it's like? It's like everybody who's seeking to love each other puts on night vision goggles. And all of a sudden, the God who is invisible becomes tangibly visible by loving each other. If we will love each other, God abides in us. So when you love me, because God loved you, I get to see a little bit of God. When I love you because God loved me, I, I get to show you a little bit of the God abiding in me and the God who was previously harder to see is now 
easier to see among us. And all of a sudden, his love is perfected in us, which means that our hearts that crave for satisfaction find our satisfaction in him as we love one another and we see him. There is nothing like being in a church family who decides, I'm going to love everybody in our church because God has loved me. Because in that moment, a church begins to see God as if they're wearing night vision goggles and what was formerly invisible becomes starkly visible. But it it doesn't stop there. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35? He says, a new commandment I give to you that you would love one another just as I loved you. By this love, the world will know you're my people. Do you hear the gift that we're giving to the world when we love each other? When we love each other, we are enabling the world to see that we belong to Jesus. And if they can see that we belong to him, they can see him no one has seen God but when God's people love each other when God's people love because God loved them the world sees the love of Jesus we should love one another because love is from God because God is love If we've been born of God, if we know God, if we've been loved like this, we ought to love one another. We should love one another. Because when we love one another, the invisible God becomes visible. It's amazing. We've been talking about love quite a bit through 1 John. You've noticed the thread We're going to circle back around the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. We're going to talk about love some more. I just want to give you some encouragement as we move towards the end of 1 John and wrap up this idea, this command of loving one another. We, We need to grow in this as a church family. And I want to encourage you to think about three phrases Don't come out of your mouth when you're striving to love each other because God loves you. Phrase number one, I will love you unless. I will love you unless you hurt me. I will love you unless you hurt my family. I will love you unless I hear that you talked bad about me to my friends. I will love you unless you speak ill of me at work and cost me an opportunity. I will love you unless. When God loves you, you don't say, I will love you unless. You say, I will love you. Period. When you love because God loves you, you you don't say, I will love you if. I will love you if you love me. I will love you if you agree with me. 
I will love you if I like you. I will love you if you like me. I will love you if you're easy to love. We don't say, I will love you if. We just say, I will love you because God loved me. We also don't say, I will love you when. I will love you when I get my life together a little bit more. I will love you when I get the resources to be able to love you. I will love you when you get your life together. I will love you when I feel better about actually showing you love. I will love you when things get worked out in my own heart to the point where I can actually show you love. That's when I will love you. You know, we don't say, I will love you when. We say, I will love you because God loved me. Can you imagine what it would be like if God said to us, I will love you unless you sin against me. I will love you if you get better first. I will love you when it's worth my effort. Can you imagine? We have been loved by God. We just say, I will love you because God loved me. So, so I, won't, I won't wait for you to do something for me that leads to an initiation of my love. I've already received what it takes to have to initiate love. God loved me. I have all I need to initiate love towards you. You don't have to do anything towards me. And anything that you do towards me that should cause me not to love you is not going to affect whether or not I try to love you. Because I have been loved by God and I sinned against him and he was not deterred from my sin. He loved me anyway. And I will not wait until I get my life together before I can try to love you when your life is a mess. No, I'm going to love you because it's not because of my life being together that I can love at all. I have nothing really to offer you save the love of Christ. And so I'm just going to love you because he loves me. He makes me ready to love you. That, that's who we are. We love because God loved us. Okay, that does not mean that we don't have exceptions. We, we, we feel there are these exceptional people in our lives. When, when I said that Sunday there's one or two people that make it really hard to obey this command, I got a lot of feedback from that statement. And I got questions about, well, what, what about this? Well, what about this? And what about this? And those are all very legitimate concerns coming out of a heart wanting to obey but not knowing exactly what it looks like with this one person. Because if you knew what this one person was like, you'd, you'd certainly talk about it differently, right? Well, here's the thing. God has simply called us to love as we have been loved. And every one of us was exceptional, exceptionally hard to love. 
but God loved us anyway. So I want to help you think through three categories of exceptions that might help you wrestle with some of those questions around that one or those two people that are really challenging, all right? Now, this is not going to address every exception, but hopefully by giving you a couple categories, it will help you move forward. Category number one, what if a person is actually dangerous to be around? Like there's an issue with safety. So here's what I'd tell you. It's very hard to love someone when you're under threat. It's a dangerous scenario. The first step towards obedience to God's command to love someone when you're in a dangerous situation is get to safety. So safety is primary because you can't love if you're in danger. So get to safety and when you are in safety from that dangerous relationship, in that place you need to work on forgiving because you cannot take a step towards loving until you've forgiven. And oftentimes with somebody that you sense is dangerous, you sense they're dangerous because you've been deeply wounded. And it will be impossible for you to move forward in love if you do not first move forward in forgiveness. The second thing you need to work on in in forgiving is praying for that person. You need to saturate your life with prayer for that person. You need to pray for them as if they're the person you love the most, not the person you despise the most. You know the difference between those kinds of prayers. So ask the Lord to help you pray for this person as if this person you love the most. And ask him to line your heart up with the words of your prayer. And as you seek to forgive and if you give time before the Lord in prayer and you focus on how God has loved you, you're going to find a growing capacity in your heart to forgive. And to pray love towards that person. And then just prepare yourself so that if a time occurs when safety happens, you are ready to demonstrate love. See, God's love is action-oriented, so it's always going to propel you to action. And so when you're dealing with somebody who's dangerous, you may not have the opportunity to display the action. But if God so worked it that safety was provided, you should be prepared to demonstrate action because God's love will propel you in that direction. So forgive, get into safety, forgive, pray, and prepare for a moment when you can demonstrate love. May or may not come, but prepare for it. It'll help you love. All right, second category, somebody you just can't love. Physically, you can't, you're not going to be around them. Um, they may already be deceased. They may never be where you're going to be physically. They may live in another place, and you're never going to be where they are. It's very similar to the danger situation. You've got to forgive. You've got to pray. And you've got to be prepared to demonstrate love if God ever opens up an opportunity for you to be with them. And then I take it one step further. Ask the Lord, what might it look like to demonstrate your love in a scenario where I'm not actually around the person you've called me to love? Just ask him. I think you'll be surprised how he may give you very Um, creative ways to demonstrate love, right? 
Okay, the third category is a person who claims to be a believer but has walked away in sin and is unrepentant at this point and their departure from Christ has resulted in a life of rebellion that's really robbing them of life and so they find themselves coming and asking for stuff all the time and you really wrestle with am I enabling them or am I loving them? Very difficult situation. So I want you to remember something about those who, have cl- who claim to be followers of Christ but fall into a period of sin and rebellion. God's word tells us that someone who belongs to him who drifts into sin for a period of time experiences the discipline of God. God in his love and concern for his children discipline his children so that they might return back to him. And so if that person is a follower and believer of Christ who's drifted into sin, we can rest assured that the Spirit of God is actively working in that individual's life and that God is orchestrating that individual's life so that that individual might experience the discipline of God. And many times the discipline of God creates hardship that would drive that person back to Christ. So here's what we need to try our best to do. We want to cooperate with God's discipline in that individual's life, not negate or alleviate the difficulty of God's discipline in that person's life. Very hard to do that. But we want to work with God in that discipline in hopes that that person would return. So be cautious at how you give and respond and that you're prayerfully considering How can I partner with God in his discipline as opposed to lessening the effects of his discipline by being someone who enables them to continue in their sin? Now, these are complicated issues, and these exceptional relationships create a lot of consternation in our lives when we hear the command, love each other. And I feel like it's the best experience of all to be in a small group of believers when you can share about what that is, what's happening in your life in these relationships. It's critical that we benefit from the collective knowledge and wisdom of God that God has given us. And we walk through these challenges to obey the Lord together as a church family. So I want to encourage you, don't try to face these exceptions alone. Get with some other people and talk about what God is doing and what challenges before you and see if the Lord might work that out in you. I'm I'm not speaking from from a lack of experience. I'm speaking from experience. I had an exceptional person in my life, one of my stepdads, the guy that that, uh, my mom was married to the longest. He he was an abusive, alcoholic, drug addict. And he wreaked havoc in our home, and I hated him. And I felt like it was easier to hate him than to love him. And uh, I wanted to figure out a way I could love God with all my heart and ignore that guy. And uh, I, did, I did a lot more along the way when I was a kid, um, a lot more down the path of hatred than I did down the path of love. But God in his kindness wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me go. And when I would say to the Lord, I love you with all my heart, he would just gently encourage me, not until you love that guy. And I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to walk through that. I was just a teenager. But I had some other people in the church that were willing to help me. 
I had some other people that are wiser and a little bit further down the road that could gather around me and just encourage me. They could hear me cry and ask questions of the Lord and could walk with me in a way that helped me move away from the path of bitterness and hatred and onto the path of love and forgiveness. I want to tell you, when I hear the Lord say, we should love one another, I know why. Because his definition of love is a whole lot better than mine. We should love one another. Because love is from God. And God is love. We ought to love one another if we're born of God, if, we're, if we know him, if we've been loved by him. And a world is around us that simply will not see the love of Jesus. They won't see God. Until we love because we have been loved. That's a great life to live. And that's why we love. Amen.